0: Hi and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, Word-based and Spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you and on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonholm and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. Well, uh, speaking of giant Easter egg hunts and all that type of thing, I am as a parent and look, you hear a lot of parenting stuff from me, it's just the phase that Andrew and I are in. All the parents, give me a wave. Thank you so much for the solidarity today. Um, But I am in what I would love to call the phases. Anybody else in the phases? We are currently in the Ikato warrior phase and you can look that up on your iPhone if you need to, it's a fighting phase. Um, I am a pacifist but I am understanding in boys that is not innate, it's not innate to be a pacifist. I'm also, I've always also been in the weapons cartel phase, I feel like I'm running a weapons cartel out of my home. Um, and I feel sad about that. I am a pacifist, um, but it's innate. And when my sons went to a Horizon church, staff Christmas party. One of the guys on staff got a super soaker as a secret Santa and Ollie was blooded right there. Um, There was no going back after that. So I have plastic swords, I've got Nerf guns, I've got spears, I've got you name it. We had the weapons cartel at our house. Don't judge me. I can feel the judgment in the room already. I'm looking for empathy here, not judgment. I started out being a pacifist mum. I want my little uh, Scandinavian wooden toys, all three of them, and all they want is plastic and weapons. It's not my fault. It's innate. <laughs> Can blame God. No, that don't say that. Strike that off the record. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've also been through the Lego phase we're still in it and part of the Lego phase was for the first 52 weeks of Ollie's schooling on library day he'd bring a Lego book home and I would beg him every week please humor me like I'm I'm wanting to raise little academics can you bring home wind in the willows or Beatrix Potter pride and prejudice war and peace anything but jolly Lego like and it it has shifted we're into Zach Powers now and Treehouse and all those things it's getting better and better and he's even touching Narnia Um, but it is a phase and then there's the what I'd like to call the habitual or experimental phases and one of my children who will remain unnamed is right now in the sign my name on everything phase (laughs) so anybody been through that? My journal, my Bible has his name in it. Um, my documents from work. I mean, our mortgage papers probably have his name signed on it. The bathroom vanity, that was an interesting one. And, and the other one never went through this phase. He, he, we thought we got away scot-free. Nothing ever got drawn on, no walls, no nothing. Um, he was an angel. Um, the only thing he ever drew was a very tasteful and discreet Christmas bunting on his bedhead not a word of a lie, to celebrate the season. It was only appropriate. Done so neatly, it made me laugh, it was so cute. Another phase and in fact that we've been in for a little while is what I'd like to call the secret squirrel phase. Um, We've told our kids we are confidential but we don't keep secrets and you have gotta tell us but there is uh, the secreting away of objects. So far, my Belgian linen pillowcase that was secreted away because it felt nice a lipstick under the pillow because it smelt nice. <laughs> Go figure. And then my ear pods, my AirPods, that got nicked in plain day under my nose and I went to the offender and said, where are they? Funny they knew exactly what I was asking without even naming the object, said top left drawer in the coloured bowl. So he owned up pretty, pretty quick. And so there's this secret squirrel phase. The thing about secrets are, I think for most of us, we don't ever grow out of the secrets phase. It seems to be a part of being human. And rightly so, because the Word of God shows us that actually part of being human is we hold secrets in our heart. It says in Psalms, deep calls unto deep. The deep in you calls unto the deep in God. The deep in God calls unto the deep in you. And that's actually completely appropriate that God has made every human soul to hold secrets only He can unlock. That's very, very true. You know, it talks about, the psalmist talks about being hidden under God's wings. I love that image that when all the world feels like it's against me, when life is challenging, I'm like, God, cover me under your wings. Let me be your best kept secret at the moment. I just wanna hide and take refuge and cover under your wings. It it talks about in Psalm 119, 139 and if you're new around these parts this is what we believe about every single human being that you were knit together in the secret place before the world saw you God saw you you were his best kept secret he knew you no matter what the circumstances of your conception were you were God's delightful secret in his heart it's part of being human But the challenge with secrets, and there is a challenge with them, although it is a part of being human, is that it leads us as human beings looking at other human beings to do what the poet Alexander Pope put to see with Not through the eye. To make observations about people that may look obvious. We look on the outside. We make assumptions about where they're at and where their hearts are at. We make assumptions, and our understanding can be limited to what we see with our eye rather than asking God to show us to see with, not through the eye. God, turn my eyes into a tool that looks beyond the obvious to see what's really going on in the state of someone's heart. Such is what secrets do to us. There's a story in John chapter 3, and I love this story. It is tender. And in fact, the way it's portrayed in The Chosen is actually really beautiful. I'd encourage you to go and have a look at that, particularly over Easter, if you want to binge watch something on the long weekend. The Chosen particularly if you are exploring matters of faith here this morning, is a great series that will really satiate a lot of the questions that you have in your heart. But this story in John 3 is like a microcosm or a picture of what goes on in most people's lives at some point. And it's the story of Nicodemus. I want to read it to you this morning. Let's have a look at John 3 verses 1 to 16. Now, there was a Pharisee, he was a religious man, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was fancy. He was a fancy pants. I'm going to stop. I'm going to get real silly this morning otherwise. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Now listen to this, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, so underscore highlight, I'm telling you something you need to pay attention to. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And of course, he asked the question, how can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked, surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered again, the very truly. We know, pay attention. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. There is a spiritual dynamic No one can come to God unless there is things that address the secret places in their heart, the things of the Spirit. If you're here for the first time today, we're looking at you in the flesh, but God knows you are so much more than what we see with the eye. You are so much more than your thoughts, speech, appearance. You are made with innate dignity and God wants to give birth again to the whole of you, all of you, the tripart being that is you flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying like Nicodemus, you're a Pharisee. You should know a little bit better. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And I want to commend the guy at this point. It's gutsy to keep on asking questions until you get to the bottom of it. If you are here and you are exploring spiritual things right now, or if you are online and you are asking spiritual questions, can I encourage you, don't let your pride get in the way of asking and asking and seeking and knocking until you get to the bottom and until the question is satiated with the truth. Because Jesus was okay with it. Jesus kept The conversation open until he landed, until the questions were satiated. Jesus says, You're Israel's teacher. Do you know who you are? Do you know the public persona that you're putting up? And do you not understand these things? Like it's a little bit of a poke at him going, Hey, you're parading around like you know the answers, man, but you don't actually. Let me show you very truly again. I tell you, we speak of what we No, and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Still you people. He's harsh, man. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. Then how will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, And here we go. He's about to talk in Jewish language. It's so important. God wants to meet you right where you're at, in the language that you speak, in the images that are salient to you. And for those that are believers here today, it's so important that we speak the language of where our friends and family are at. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, it's a Jewish thing. He would have known immediately his mind would have gone to that image. So the Son of Man must be lifted. Up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him, for God so loved the world, and this is our classic passage. This is Easter in a kernel. If you're looking for Easter, here it is God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, God's whole heart is not to condemn the world but to save the world. God is not driven by hate. God is not driven by judgment. God is not driven by condemnation. God is driven by love. And this is the heart of this passage. And so in John 3, we're introduced to Nicodemus, who holds a terrible secret possibly a secret that would have leached at him at night. It is a hard thing to hold up appearances, to be keeping up appearances, to have to be something, to be on the ruling council, to have the answers, and yet deep inside to know when you go to sleep at night at 1am in the morning, actually, I don't have anything. I don't have the answers. I don't have the answers to satiate the deepest needs of my own soul. But the problem was, people in his society would have assumed he had the answers, assumed he had it all together, assumed that if you are wearing this robe and taking this posture, you've seen, they would have looked at him with, not through the eye, and seen Nicodemus not really as he is, but as he appeared. And this is the problem that we have in our community. This is the problem that I have at times when I go to under eights and under six soccer. This is the problem when I'm with the beautiful parents of the boys in my class on Friday at a birthday party. They can seem so together and they are, they're beautiful. They love their kids, they've bought property, they're going well professionally many of them and I can draw conclusions about the state of their heart, I can draw a a conclusion about what they really feel they need based on what I see with my eye instead of looking through my eye to a greater reality. So this morning I want to ask the question, what are the secrets we are keeping? What are the secrets that we are keeping? What are the secrets that we in our community and we are human beings are keeping? And I wanna propose the first question that we, we keep or the first secret that we keep is the secret of our curiosity and our questions. We are people that like to have it all together. To question, to have a piece of the puzzle missing might actually be humiliating. If I go to the parents of the kids in in my kids' class and I don't have it all together, how will I appear? How will I appear if I've got deep questions in my heart and my child knows Jesus Christ, but I don't yet have that answered for myself? You know, it's interesting, Nicodemus comes at night and there's two possible explanations for that, scholars tell us. The first one is that Pharisees could work all day at times and study at night. And so there might have been a logical conclusion for him asking questions at night. But the more likely scenario, because he was on the Jewish ruling council and didn't really need to do any of that, is that nighttime was uh, associated in imagery with secrecy. He comes in the secrecy of the night because he is desperately seeking and does not have the answers. And yet his shame, yet his desire to keep up appearances would have prevented him from doing it in the plain light of day. He was painted into a corner, and so secrets were the only currency he had, and nighttime was the only location he could deal with the real state of his heart. The problem is to actually spot that because most people don't keep their questions and curiosity in the public arena, they keep it in the secret place of their heart. What it takes when it comes to you and me that know Jesus is a way of looking. We have to adopt a way of looking. There's a very powerful scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.16. And in fact, I've been reading through Corinthians and it's a beautiful description of how churches should be and believers should behave and posture themselves. But it says in 2 Corinthians 16, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And what Paul is saying here is when it comes to looking, There is two ways that you can look at things. There really are two perspectives that you can take. You can look and see what is obvious. It can be closed and resolute. And we can just look at what seems to be. They seem to be okay. They seem to be happy. They're cheering at their kids' soccer game. They seem to be well to do. They're driving a great car. They seem to be going okay in life. Or we can actually see straight through it and go, I know that they would be spiritually seeking. Things look all together, but they must be spiritually seeking. I wanna propose that Nicodemus is a night visitor. And I wanna guarantee to you that you have night visitors in your life. Nicodemus was a night visitor to Jesus Christ. He couldn't come in the open, uh, openness of the day, he couldn't necessarily ask questions that were straight, although they got pretty straight. He would ask veiled questions and he would do it in the secrecy of the night. Can I say to you that you have night visitors in your life, colleagues that are around you that are observing, Parents at school that are asking veiled questions, people that are making a bid for your attention, and they may not be asking you direct spiritual questions, but you can be sure, like Nicodemus, they are night visitors seeking someone just like you to shed light on something that is a deep and aching question in their own life. One such Um, kind of season in my life where this was really obvious to me was when I was a teacher at quite a wealthy private North Shore school. Um, I felt out of my depth initially but very, very soon I became a part of the community. I was teaching studies of religion and doing chaplaincy at the time and so I'd be over two campuses and I was deep and steeped in the life of the school very, very quickly and as such that special rite of passage for every teacher, playground duty. We all hated it and loved it simultaneously. Fresh air uh, and a burden to carry every week. But I soon discovered that when I was on playground duty, the night visitors would come. It was almost like it was guaranteed. The minute I stepped out of the formality of the staff room or the formality of the classroom... Out of the public eye and the crowds, where private conversations could just look like a chat with the teacher or the colleague, I suddenly, every single playground duty time, had the night visitors. And it would start with prove it questions. You taught in class. This happened. Prove it to me. And I would have to see with the eye, uh, not with the eye, but through the eye. What are they really asking me here? Why are they seeking me out? Because the prove it question probably was more a desperately seeking heart. I want to believe this. Help me believe what you're saying. It would be colleagues that shared the content of their life. A colleague of mine who um, started dating someone new and fell pregnant very, very quickly, sharing the content of her heart. What do I do with this situation? Who will support me in this situation? Night visitors, can I say to you, church, this is why prayer is so key. This is why prayer as a believer is absolutely indispensable because prayer does two things. Firstly, prayer changes us. Prayer opens our eyes as believers to the spiritual reality going on so that we no longer see with, but we see through our eyes and to the very deep spiritual need that people in our world are experiencing. But so too, it brings to the surface the contents of people's hearts. It brings to the surface the curiosity and questions and it awakens hearts to the reality of a God that loves them. It actually says in John 3.2, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus lived a life of private prayer and public power. Private prayer and public power. The kind of prayer that shaped and changed him as a human being because he was fully God, but he was also fully human. And he got tired and missed opportunities possibly if he didn't pray. He got exhausted. His perception as a human may have actually been blurred and muddied and missed things if he didn't seek his Father in heaven to first change him. Nicodemus observed the public outworking, the miracles um, of the private prayer. Can I say to you that your prayer, your humble, not not religious performance, not a weight and burden, because right now as I say prayer, already there are hearts in the room saying, God, I've not prayed enough for that loved one. I've not prayed enough for that friend. And I would say to you, your loving heavenly Father is leaning into the prayers that you pray on the way to the soccer field, to your son's training. Your loving heavenly Father hears the arrow prayer on the way to the school pickup, your loving father that wants to work through your life powerfully in the workplace, hears you at the water cooler when you're like, God, help me reach John at work, help me share what I know to be true with a man at work that desperately needs your saving power. Jonathan Edwards um, made an observation about the state of America in, in the earlier centuries. And he's like, it is destitute of God. There is no God in the universities. In fact, they did a survey and they couldn't find one believer in most universities. They found two in Princeton of thousands of students. There was drinking, family breakdown, terrible societal ills. And he got a clue and said, I need to gather believers to actually unite in prayer, to stir a spiritual awakening in the heart of our community. They're curious, but they're not feeling their need for Jesus Christ. Where do we start, Lord? We start in prayer. And so he wrote a pamphlet and I'm not even gonna waste a minute pronouncing and and reading out the length of it, but it began with a humble, Effort basically to get believers to unify in prayer to pray for the souls of those in their world. And what started happening, the observable fruit of it was it stirred and piqued curiosity in hearts anew, it woke sleepy hearts, it sensitized dull hearts, it actually awakened a community. And revivals started breaking out in America. Pockets of revival as as the church committed to concerts of prayer. A sharp increase in interest in the things of God concurrently increased. Conviction and redemption increased. People's lives turned around. The society experienced revival. I want to say to you today, there are people secretly questioning in your world would you take the time in God to see with not through the eye? Would you, would you take the time in God to observe the night visitors that are already in your world, striking up conversations, observing you? You know, if the average person keeps the secret of their curiosity and the questions Oftentimes, the average believer keeps the secret of our faith. We keep the secret of our faith. I want to have a look at two little Scriptures that are also in the book of John with people that are also Pharisees like Nicodemus. And one of them is Joseph of Arimathea in John 19.38. And Joseph of Arimathea is just lauded as such a good man in Scripture. He buries the body of Jesus. But it says, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate, for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, he kept the secret because he feared the Jewish leaders. He kept the secret of his faith. He's a good man. He loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all his heart, soul and mind, but his faith was his best kept secret. And it goes on to say in John twelve forty two. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, the Pharisees and so forth, believed in Him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear. They would be put out of the synagogue for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Can I put to you today, church, that at times our faith can be our best kept secret for various reasons, and I want to empathise and situate myself absolutely smack bang in the centre of this. At times I feel, I've said it a million times, if they were going to want to hear it, maybe they'd ask me again, maybe I'll just back off. At times I'm like, they feel hardened to me, I don't really think they're the right person. Or I'm not an evangelist, I've thought to myself at times. I'm a pastor or a teacher or just an everyday believer. I'm not an evangelist. That's for Reinhard Bonnke. That's for Billy Graham. That's not for little old me. That God is saying, don't make your faith your best kept secret. Make it the thing that you shout the loudest. Make it the thing that is the forefront of any conversation or any relationship you have. At this point, um, I wanna, I guess, uh, share with you a theme in the Bible that I've always loved. Who loves a little bit of theology? I wanna wanna give you theology in a nutshell on something that has been one of my favourite themes in the Word of God and that is temple theology. So right from the beginning of Genesis, there is a literary and really a description of reality theme about the spiritual realm and it's called temple theology. And temple theology says, and Greg alluded to Psalm 22, 23, 24 this morning, our Psalm 24 this year, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The creation narrative in Genesis begins with the earth is the Lord's temple. And temples are about God's presence. Temples are about people intersecting and interacting and encountering Jesus Christ. Well, when sin comes, The temple of the Lord's is somewhat violated. They're kicked out of Eden. The land is cursed. And God, instead of withdrawing from human beings, says, I still want presence in the earth. I love these precious ones. They're made in my image and sin may have marred it, but I will presence myself in temple and tabernacle in the Old Testament. Well then it moves on from temple and tabernacle and Jesus is on the scene and He suddenly talks about destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. He becomes the temple for people where every person can be born again, can access the presence of God, can know God personally you know you can know God personally here maybe you've never met him maybe you've never experienced him but God is not far away God is closer than you think and in Jesus you can experience him well Jesus rises from the dead and a new kind of temple is spoken about and that is you as a believer you are the temple of God and yous, we are the temple when we are gathered together and Helena is laughing at me. She's like, you are from the hood girl, right? Actually, yes. <laughs> All bogan, do not be fooled. <laughs> it says in 1 Peter 2.5 and if you know me well, you know that to be very, very true. 1 Peter 2.5 says, do not affirm that statement. I heard you over there. Uh, 1 Peter 2.5 says, and you are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. What's more, you are His holy priests. What nations used to travel for days and weeks and months to come to, to experience God's presence. God has dotted temples all around the Sutherland Shire. God is taking the temples to the people to experience His presence, they don't need to come to some far, far, far away temple or tabernacle, you just go and they experience the presence of God through you. And they come in here on a Sunday and they experience the presence of God through us because we are the temple. You're the temple at your kids' school. I'm the temple at Saturday morning soccer in all my Saturday morning glory. It's a glorious temple. I am the temple at my kids' flip-out party on Friday, believe it or not, in that raucous, gross place. I am the... I know, Janie Johnson was there with me, solidarity. There was many good things about Friday. Tina Zhang was there. Yeah, Tina. We were there at flip-out being the temple. I'm the temple with my family. Little do they know there's a temple around the table. There's a temple... You are the temple, but the the question is, what happens if the temple isn't obvious? What happens if the temple's hidden? What happens if the temple goes missing and the temple doesn't realise they're a temple? Well, people are designed by God for presence. People are designed to encounter God, whether they know it on a cognitive level or not, and they will find it and they'll go to false temples if we are not the temple. God has placed temples everywhere. God wants a temple at AMP. God wants a temple in local parliament. God wants a temple at your school. God wants a temple in your neighbourhood. Do you know you're the temple of God? You're there so people can experience God. You're not there because you like that area in the Sutherland Shire. You are placed by God because the boundary lines for you have fallen in pleasant places and surely you are a delightful temple bit cheeky if you know the scripture it's a delightful inheritance but I'll never forget the time when we were doing some ministry in the city and a colleague of mine Dave Redden, very good friend of mine said to me Christy there's a lot of people going to the church down the road today and he wasn't referring to a Christian church he was referring to Ikea Tempe <laughs> right funny But there are many people anaesthetising themselves with other things, consumerism, other isms, boredom, relationship, because the temple isn't obvious. You are the temple of God. I wanna put to you, and if I could have the keys up, that Easter is the most perfect time for you to be the temple of Jesus Christ. I cannot underscore to you enough right now as we sit and enjoy the presence of God and we should, and we should take great joy in that. There is no guilt in that. There's such life and peace in this room and joy. But there are people right now that are looking for a temple at Easter. They're looking for some way to market. They're looking for something to watch as a family tradition. They're looking for an Easter egg hunt. They're looking for an experience. They're looking to create traditions, but they are devoid of life because they haven't come into contact with Jesus Christ or His temples. Can I encourage you? We have a prime opportunity next week called Easter. Good Friday 9.30, Easter Sunday 9.30, the giant Easter egg hunt. Opportunities to bring people to the temple. Opportunities to share in a way that's very, very open and very, very appropriate, particularly for this time of the year, about the greatest message that will answer all your questions, that will touch on all your curiosity and will be the missing piece of the aching need that you feel. Because the other question that people I think or the secret that they are keeping is the secret of their need. And maybe you are here today and you are looking like in some senses Nicodemus in the story, very polished. Sutherland Shire is a place of lifestyle. People have needs but they're hidden behind what seems good the lifestyle, the sport, all the beautiful things that we enjoy in our location. Need is hidden behind a lot of these trappings. You know, Nicodemus had a need, but he kind of misdiagnosed it. When Jesus said about being born again, it's interesting, his psyche would have thought because he was Jewish, they often use that terminology to talk about Gentiles joining the Jewish faith. They're newborns. They're starting out, they might be 60, but they're starting out. It was almost like a slightly pejorative term. And when Jesus said it to him, he could not compute that a son of Israel would need to convert to Israel's faith. He couldn't conceive, he felt an aching need. He felt an aching need in his heart that drove him to be a night visitor but he misdiagnosed the answer to his need and it took Jesus to unpack it. You know, you're probably all wondering, where does does Nicodemus land? Well, there's a Scripture when Jesus is buried and Nicodemus brings spices to anoint his body as an act of worship. So we can conclude that Nicodemus comes to saving faith. Because his greatest need was met, Right now, we have people in our community, us included actually, and we're saying the greatest need at the moment is cost of living. We're going, the greatest need in my life is to assuage the mother guilt that I'm feeling. Or my greatest need is to resolve the pressures of life. I had one dad at soccer say to me yesterday, I was on holidays and literally the minute I got back, I'm in bed, stressing about what I've got to do tomorrow. just hit me in the face, literally. How can I go from black to white so quickly? And it's the greatest felt need. But actually the greatest need is to be born again. It says in 1 Corinthians 6.2, and this is Paul talking about what God is saying. For He says, in the time of my favour, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. And Paul reinterprets that and says, let me help you understand, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation, right now. Not next year, not in 10 years time, not when we all go to heaven, now, right now. You know, the harvest is plentiful. People are ready. If we look with, not through the eye, we'll see that the harvest is ripe. It looks together, it looks polished. It looks like the needs are all met. But God is saying the harvest is plentiful. People's hearts have never been riper. Church, don't buy into the crap. And I use that word intentionally, please don't judge me. Don't buy into it that people are not hungry, that people are not starving for truth. They are dying for lack of knowledge of Jesus Christ. They need the temple. They need you. They need me to share what we have in Jesus Christ. Now is the time that God is reaching hearts. Can I ask every head bowed and every, eyes clo- every eye closed in this place? Maybe you've come. And as you hear this story of Nicodemus with the questions, a man that actually for all intents and purposes had it Do you know, it's actually the story of us. We can be so strong in so many areas. Our family can be good. Our job can be good. Maybe a little bit of money would be handy. Maybe we're a little bit stressed about the future. But it can seem pretty good. And yet there is an aching, gnawing question in our heart. Is there more to it? Is there more to this life? Maybe you're on the grind. Maybe you felt like, gosh, I'm just on a hamster wheel. I literally, I get up, I go to work to provide for my kids, my wife, my family, I wanna be a responsible human being, but I just feel like I'm on a hamster wheel. What does this all mean? I wanna say to you this morning, there is more than meets the eye. Your heart is crying out for something more not because it's a question mark, but because it's an exclamation. He is crying from the rooftops. I love you, I made you, I want relationship with you, I'm calling you into relationship. And the beautiful thing about that, just like with Nicodemus, is literally it is one conversation away. Did you know prayer is a conversation? It's not just a religious activity, a formulaic thing that we read from a prayer book, Prayer is a conversation with the maker of heaven and earth. And it's super simple. When we tell him we need him. When we tell him we have an aching hole in our heart. When we tell him that we don't understand it all, but we're saying yes to him today. Maybe you've come along with someone. Maybe you knew Jesus at school. I've got friends that knew him. I've got parents with little boys in my kids' circles that once knew Him and they are questioning, how do I close the gap again? I wanna know Him. I remember how good it felt to be in close communion with God, close friendship. I want that again. Maybe for you, you wanna explore matters of faith. Whatever it is this morning, we are gonna pray a prayer saying yes to God, just like Nicodemus did. And as you pray that prayer, God knows the state of your heart. There are no secrets with God. There are secrets among humans. There is, you could be really suffering right now in this room and we would never know, but there is a God in heaven that knows exactly where you're at. He has got you marked on His GPS. He knows exactly the location of your heart this morning. And if you're online watching as well, God knows where you're at. You may be anonymous to human beings, but God knows your Name. He says in the Word of God, He knows how many hairs are on your head, which is just literally a poetic expression to say, He knows the intimate details of your life. He cares for you. Says cast your cares on Him, for He cares for you. We're gonna pray a prayer this morning. And if you are praying this for the first time or the first time in a long, long time, would you pray it from your heart and He'll know and today, just like Nicodemus said, you will become His child. That ache in the heart today can be resolved in Him. It is one prayer away. Church, would you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I give You my heart. I give You my life. Come into my life. Wash me clean. Make me new. Today, I am born again. The old is gone, the new has come. Today, I'm Yours, with every head bowed and every eye closed. If for you, you're coming back to the Lord Jesus today. In the moment, I'm gonna get you to raise your hand, just long enough for me to see. It's not, we don't wanna bring you down the front or anything of that sort. We just, I wanna pray a general prayer of blessing over everyone who's responded today. Maybe for you, it's the first time you've come along, you've come as a friend with someone and you're like, this makes sense. Something on the inside of me is crying out, this is true and I need to say yes. In a moment, I'm gonna count to three. And if you're coming back to Jesus today, I would counsel you, don't wait a minute longer. Don't go home with those questions. Don't go home with the ache in your heart. Today, He wants to touch your heart. He wants to meet you where you're at. So I'm gonna count to three. If today you're coming back to Him or coming to Him for the first time, give me a wave. One, two, three. Would you give me a wave this morning? Amazing! Would you give me a wave? Thank you, sweetheart. Is there anybody else? You're like, I need to come back to Him. I can't do another night asking those questions. I need to open my heart to Him today. Is there any, anybody here joining that precious woman today? Would you give me a wave? Would you give me a wave? I just really feel the gentleness of God across this auditorium. God loves you. He's reaching out to you personally. He's not in a rush You've had people in your life that are in a rush. They're harsh. God's not like that. I'm just going to take a moment longer. Is there anybody else here today? And you need to say yes. Yes to Him. Yes to Him. Yes to Him. Thank You, God. Thank You, God. Thank You, God. God, I just pray for that precious one. You love them so much. You want to meet them right where they're at. And so Lord God, I just declare Your love over that beautiful woman this morning. I thank you that you are coming close. You're meeting the needs, God. You're bringing comfort, God. And I just thank you. You're going to answer the questions that are asked in the secret places. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.